Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of programs to describe the differences between atonement and propitiation. And today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was introducing the differences between atonement and propitiation. And I was reading through Leviticus to explain this. For example, in Leviticus chapter 5, in Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, our God said, Now if a person sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify when he is a witness, whether he has seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he will bear his guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean cattle or a carcass of unclean swarming things, though it is hidden from him and he is unclean, then he will be guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort his uncleanness may be, with which he becomes unclean and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty. Or if a person swears thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, in whatever matter a man may speak thoughtlessly with an oath, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty in one of these. So it shall be, when he becomes guilty in one of these, that he shall confess that in which he has sinned. He shall also bring his guilt offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin. And then if you continue to read down to verse 13, it says, So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, which he has committed from one of these, and it will be forgiven him. Now, what I was explaining in the previous broadcast is that there is a very, very distinct difference between atonement and forgiveness. For example, in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 13, and also in the previous broadcast, I explained this through Leviticus chapter 4, verse 20, the Lord said that the priest can exercise atonement, but that forgiveness would be exercised by God himself, and it would be done separately, and definitely will be done at a future point. You see, the priest could exercise atonement because that was a sprinkling act. It was an act of covering over sin. However, our God, when exercising forgiveness, completely takes away sin. Another way to describe this is that atonement covers over sin to the extent where sin will be remembered. It will not be hidden. It will be remembered. And I explained that in the previous program. And yet the forgiveness that our God will exercise is the act of no longer remembering that sin. So again, in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 13, it says, So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, which he has committed from one of these. And then the conjunction and is used, and it will be 
forgiven him. But this is something that our God will do at a future point in time. And I personally believe that this future point was the point when the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That this was not an act of atonement, but this was an act of propitiation. Propitiation is the taking away of sins. Atonement is the preserving or the memorializing or the remembering of sins. Again, in Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it is written, When the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the Lord and deceives his companion in regard to a deposit or a security entrusted to him, or through robbery, or if he has extorted from his companion, or has found what was lost and lied about it and sworn falsely, so that he sins in regard to any one of the things a man may do, then it shall be when he sins and becomes guilty that he shall restore what he took by robbery or what he got by extortion or the deposit which was entrusted to him or the lost thing which he found or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it in full and add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. Then he shall bring to the priest his guilt offering to the Lord a ram without defect from the flock, according to your valuation for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any one of the things which he may have done to incur guilt. But again, this conjunction and is being used. There is a distinction between atonement and forgiveness. Now, this is the important point that I explained in the previous broadcast that I would like to reiterate again in this program, and that is that if sin is not taken away, but it is covered, it can always be uncovered. I'm going to say it again. If sin is not taken away, but covered, it can always be Uncovered, And in the previous program, I gave some examples of that, how people believe things that shows that they actually believe that their sins can be uncovered. I gave the example that if a person sins too much, then certainly the Lord may need to take them out of here before they cause too much damage here on earth. That's one example. I don't believe that, but a lot of people do believe that. Another example is that when you go into heaven under certain circumstances... The Lord may need to play all your sins on the big screen in order to give his explanation or his justification for sending you to hell. That's another thing that people believe that reveals that what they really believe is atonement. They believe that sins have been covered, and yet they can always be uncovered. Now, if this is the case, if this is what people believe, then the problem is is that they cannot really walk in their life or live their life with confidence that the Lord will never hold their sins against them ever again. That the Lord is, in fact, keeping records of your wrongs. He's keeping a record of your sins. And so, if necessary, he can always bring them up in order to make a point of some kind. That's what people actually believe. And so, if this is the case, then that means that people do not truly know the love of God. And what I mean by that is by using the definition of the love of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, for example, around verse 4, 5, and 6, the Lord said that love 
can be described as no longer keeping any records of your wrongs. It is to say that God loves you so much that he does not look at you in the midst of your sin. He does not remember your sins anymore. But if you are teaching things or if you are believing things that leads people to assume that the Lord can always bring up past sins for whatever reason may be necessary, if you believe that, then what you believe is that your God does not truly love you by definition of the love of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so if you believe that, if you personally believe that, then you cannot live believing that he truly loves you. You cannot really embrace that. You cannot embrace that to the extent where you need to embrace that because you need to be loved by your God in that way. You were created by him in such a way that you need that. He has created you to have that need. And so if that's the case, then what this means is, is that you will not be loved by your God. And if you are not loved by your God, and you have a need to be loved by your God, then what are you going to do in the meantime? What are you going to do now if you are not being loved by your God and yet you need to be loved? Well, there's only one thing you can do, and that is to turn to the world. Or to turn to sin. That's all you've got left at your disposal, at least for a temporary reprieve or for a break of some kind from all the pressure of not being able to get loved by your God because you believe that your sins are still covered, but they're not really taken away. But they can always be uncovered, that they can always be brought up, if necessary, in order to make a point or pass judgment against you in some capacity. This is what people believe, and this is why it is so vital to understand this, because if you don't, then you can easily end up in a situation where you are having to engage in more sin in your life just in order to cope with this misconception or this false belief when it comes to the subject of sin, atonement, and propitiation. So again, the point is is that if people are living on the basis of atonement for whatever reason, if they are believing that their sins are under the blood of Jesus or covered by the blood of Jesus, or if they believe that they are going to just plead the blood of Jesus or appropriate the blood of Jesus, and that's how they deal with their sin, then in effect, what will be realized is that they do not understand what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross for them. What Jesus did, which was totally different from what the Levitical priesthood did, was Jesus took away all of our sin. He died for our sins. He shed his blood, not so that our sins could be atoned for, but so that they could be taken away to the extent where they will never, ever be remembered again. This is a big deal in the Christian world, and this is why I'm spending so much time talking about this and trying to explain this, because this is a huge problem in the Christian world. It's absolutely immense in magnitude that people do not quite grasp this. Let me turn to the New Testament to make this point. In the New Testament, because all I've done so far is describe what is written in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, because that is what a lot of people actually believe. In the New Testament, things are very different. For example, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, when John wrote about this subject, he said, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now think about this for a moment. 
First of all, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That means that he's talking about propitiation for our sins, for those who are saved and for those who are lost. I'll come back to that for a moment. Just think about that for just a second while I'm talking about the definition of propitiation. The definition of propitiation is really best described when it comes to accounting, I think. It's an accounting term. For example, if somebody owes you money for whatever reason, they purchased something from you and you gave them credit, which means that you gave them the ability to take possession of the items that you had with the expectation probably that they would be able to make a profit by using those items in order to perform work and to generate a profit, either through sales or manufacturing or whatever. And then after a period of time, they would then share their profits with you. That's what a lot of businesses do in order to operate. We would expect that whoever borrowed the items, in effect, would pay the person back. But this doesn't always happen. What sometimes happens is that people don't pay what they owe, and so there is a debt on somebody's books. What this means is is that whoever loaned money or other items or whatever, I'll just make it simple and call it money, they loaned money to somebody else and this other person did not pay them. How is the person who made this loan going to deal with it? Well, if they're never going to be repaid, if they're never going to be able to recover the money that they loaned to this individual, then eventually they're just going to have to accept the fact that they're never going to get their money. And in order to get their books straightened out, they're going to have to write off the debt. They're just simply going to have to put an entry in there saying that this is never going to be paid. And then go on with life. Go on with business. Go on with whatever they need to do. And not try to get payment from somebody who probably will never be able to pay them. Or even if they can, they may not be able to legally acquire it. There are many issues related to that. But this is what... The word propitiation means, it means that you recognize that somebody owes you a debt that they are never going to repay, and so you're simply going to have to write it off and no longer require them to pay you the debt that they owe. That is propitiation. That's what our God did for us. He recognized that there was no way that we could possibly provide compensation for the sins that we committed. That there is no way that we could ever do anything that would fix the problems that we have created. There was nothing that we could ever do. And so he simply came to a point where he no longer requires us, he will not require us to compensate him or anybody else for that matter for the sins that we have committed. Because there's no way to do that. They are so evil, they are so wicked that there is no way that we can possibly do anything in order to fix the problems that we have caused, the problems that we have created. And so he has exercised propitiation, which means that he has written off the debt. He no longer requires us to pay a debt that we owe that we cannot pay, which makes perfect sense. If we cannot pay it, then he should no longer require us to owe it because it just simply is never going to be reconciled. So he has reconciled us to himself through the act of propitiation, which was demonstrated through him dying on a cross for the sins of the world. Now, at the end of verse 2, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he makes that clear. He says very clearly that he has 
provided propitiation for our sins, but not just ours only, but also for the entire world. Now, what that means is, is that he has provided propitiation for those who are saved and for those who are lost. He has provided propitiation for both parties, for those who are saved and for those who are lost. Those who are saved have propitiation. Those who are lost have propitiation. For those who are saved, he no longer holds their sins against them. And for those who are lost, he no longer holds their sins against them. Why? Because of what he did on the cross. Now, this, of course, will open up a lot of new questions in many people's minds. For example, if what I am saying is true, then I could be suggesting that the whole world is saved. Even those who are lost, who don't believe in Jesus, and that is definitely not what I believe. I do not believe that. And the reason why is because I do not believe that propitiation or forgiveness is salvation. I don't believe that. I believe that salvation is the restoration of the Holy Spirit to indwell within you. That if you have received the free gift of the Holy Spirit, then you have been saved. And forgiveness was necessary. It was necessary because if your sins were not forgiven, then there would be some sin left unforgiven that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you the next time you committed it according to the law of sin and death. That is my understanding of salvation, what I believe concerning salvation. And I have done a number of programs that describes this in detail. If you have any questions concerning it, you can look for the program that I have done on the gospel, for example. That's a good one that gives the definition of what the gospel is. And I spend a lot of time explaining what the gospel is and why I believe that is the gospel, what salvation is and what it is not. So I will defer to another program when it comes to that subject. To this subject, however, I just want to explain to you in detail, you must understand that there is a distinction between forgiveness and atonement. There is a distinction between propitiation and atonement, that propitiation, forgiveness, is something that has been given to everyone because of what he accomplished for us. If you were to continue to read in John's letter in 1 John chapter 4, for example, In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his Son to be the propitiation for, for our sins. Now again in verse 9 it says that we might live through him. We have forgiveness so that we might live. And you will live. You will live if you are made alive. And you will be made alive if you receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit that he has offered to the entire world. If you receive his spirit to indwell within you, you will receive his life. And his life in dwelling within you will make you alive so that you can live. That's what verse 9 means. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. 
and you will if you will receive the Holy Spirit. And if you won't, then you won't live through him. Instead, you will just continue to function as a forgiven dead person, but you certainly won't be saved. And then in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But again, if you do not understand this, then you do not know his love. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's in verses 4 and 5 that love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. In this version, that's what it says. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. In other versions, it says that he does not keep any records of your wrongs. So if you do not understand this, if you do not see the distinction between atonement and propitiation, you do not know the love of God. That's the point. And if you do not know the love of God, then you will not be able to live with his love in your life. You will not be able to live with the love that he has given to you. And in addition to that, you have a need to be loved by your God. And so if you're not going to take the love that he is offering, which you definitely need, then you are going to be condemned to go into the world and pursue sin in order to get a break, in order to deal with the lack of love in your life. That's the issue at hand. That is the risk at hand. That is why this is so critical, so vital to understand in order to break through the barriers that have been created by people in the Christian world. Incredible barriers that prevent people from actually living through him. Living through Christ Jesus, people have been paralyzed, people have been immobilized, they've been barricaded, they've been imprisoned by these false beliefs so that they cannot live. They cannot live as God intended them to live. They cannot live in Christ Jesus. They cannot live through Christ Jesus. They cannot live in the newness of life that has been made available to them because they have by default been taught that their sins are being remembered and that they can be uncovered, that they're just atoned for. That's all you've got. Atonement. Well, if that is the case, what do you need Jesus for? You could have done just fine with the Levitical priesthood. All you need is a Levitical priesthood or a Levitical light. Make up any other priesthood, and there's lots of them around. In fact, they even call themselves priests in many cases. That's all you need. You don't need Jesus, if that's what you believe. But I believe, I do believe that the evidence is overwhelmingly clear that he has dealt with the sin issue, that the entire sin subject is over. It's been over for a long time. And it will never be brought up again. And if you will believe that, then you will have an opportunity to start, to actually begin to know the depths of his love for you. And that will fulfill the needs in your heart to the extent where it will totally transform everything about who you are because you will change from a person who is incomplete to a person who is complete. You will change from a person who is unfulfilled to a person who is fulfilled because you were once a person who was empty And you will now be a person who will be filled with the love of God. Do not underestimate 
the value of this and the importance of this. And don't make the mistake of living on the basis of atonement when you now have propitiation. Again, the difference between atonement and propitiation is that when it comes to atonement, atonement has to do with our God remembering our sins through memorializing them with the covering or the preservation of those sins as represented by the blood covering over the artifacts of the tabernacle and of the temple. When it comes to propitiation, this has to do with no longer remembering our sins, that our sins have been completely taken away, not covered over, not preserved, but completely removed. That's how we live today under the new covenant. The old covenant had to do with the preservation of sins to bring people to the point, to bring the nation of Israel to a point where they would be so overburdened by the presence of sin that they would certainly have the greatest opportunity to rejoice when propitiation would finally be invoked through the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. It was then that the new covenant went into effect, and when the new covenant went into effect, the way that our God related to us on the basis of our sins totally changed, changed to the extent where he no longer relates to us on the basis of our sins at all. For further study on this subject, I would like to encourage you to listen to the programs that I have done on the subject of forgiveness. In the series of programs that I did on forgiveness, I talked about a number of very important verses, some very important passages in the scriptures that are often used in order to give people the idea that their sins are still being held against them. And I certainly am not saying that those passages do not exist, those verses do not exist. I'm saying that those verses are being interpreted in a way that I believe is incorrect. There are many passages that I address in that series, such as the Sermon on the Mount, 1 John 1.9, a number of other passages in the scriptures that I do believe that every Christian can certainly benefit from. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs for further study on this subject. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you